Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, CEO of the Cancer Support Community. For more than 35 years, we at the Cancer Support Community have been a relentless ally for anyone impacted by cancer. We help individuals manage the realities of this disruptive disease and get back to normal. Whether accessing our free services in person or at one of our 175 locations online or over our toll-free helpline, you are getting a team of licensed professionals providing patient navigation, financial counseling, genetic counseling, pediatric support, and more. Today's episode is part of our special series looking at leukemias, and we'll be taking a close look at chronic myeloid leukemia, CML for short. Well, we're seeing that improved treatment options for CML led to what is now one of the most controllable long-term cancers. Essentially, CML is a chronic disease for many patients, much like high blood pressure or diabetes. And while it requires daily medication and monitoring, with proper treatment, it can be managed. Today, we're going to take a close look at this leukemia and discuss how to live your best life with a chronic cancer. With us today is Dr. Kendra Sweet from the Moffitt Cancer Center in Tampa, Florida, specializing in the treatment of both chronic and acute myeloid leukemia. And later in the show, we will also be joined by Diane Krepnik, who has been living with CML for over five years. Let me tell you about Dr. Sweet. Uh, She's a clinical investigator focused on chronic and acute myeloid leukemia. She's an associate member of the Malignant Hematology Faculty at the Moffitt Cancer Center in Tampa, Florida, and an assistant professor in the Department of Oncologic Sciences at the University of South Florida, Morsani College of Medicine. In recognition and support of her research efforts, she earned a three-year career development award from the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Welcome to the show, Dr. Sweet. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, Dr. Sweet, we know a cancer diagnosis is a life-changing event, and being diagnosed with a cancer for which you will receive care for the remainder of your life must really raise some concerns with patients. What do you generally tell patients who are newly diagnosed with CML? What's the, what's the message? The message I try to get across when I see someone for the first time with a new diagnosis of CML is that although this is a cancer diagnosis and that comes with a lot of unknowns and a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety, um, this is a disease that we can treat and we can treat successfully. We know a lot about it. We have excellent treatments. And at the end of the day, it is a chronic disease and we manage it much the same way we manage other chronic illnesses like high blood pressure, like diabetes, like high cholesterol with an oral medication that's taken every day, uh, with close monitoring, and in doing so, the life expectancy for the majority of people with, with chronic phase CML is uh, about the same as the general population. So I like to try to get that point across right from the get-go, that if we do this right, and if, if we find the right drug and we can make it tolerable, that people can get back to life as they knew it, and, um, and they can live a long and fulfilling life. Wow. So maybe a little bit of 
good news and a bad news story. We know that cancer is not a great news story, but it sounds like there is a little bit of a silver lining maybe to this uh, diagnosis in particular. Exactly. Um, Dr. Yeah. Sweet, yeah, let's dive a little deeper. Um, let's go back to maybe our sixth grade um, science class. <laughs> and um, can you explain to, uh, um, to our listeners what is, let's start with leukemia. What is leukemia? I think many of them will have heard of leukemia in general terms, but maybe not understand how it's different from maybe cancers like breast cancer, lung cancer. So a little background would be helpful. Leukemia is a cancer of the bone marrow. So the bone marrow is the factory that makes all of your blood cells. It makes your white blood cells, which are the cells that help you fight off infection. Um, Your bone marrow makes your red blood cells, which are the cells that carry oxygen to all of the tissues in your body. And your bone marrow makes your platelets, which are the cells that help your blood clot. So when somebody develops leukemia, it's essentially... uh, Something's gone haywire with the factory, and the cells in the bone marrow have, have started to grow or divide out of control, uh, generally with the white blood cells. So the, white, the production of the white blood cells has started to grow out of control. So depending on what type of leukemia we're talking about, um, it could be mature white blood cells or immature white blood cells or different cell lines, um, but at the end of the day, leukemia is a cancer of the bone marrow of ultimately of the white blood cells. Got it. Got it. So let's dive a little bit deeper. Um, We're talking today about a chronic leukemia. I know there are many different types of leukemias. What is the difference between a chronic leukemia and an acute leukemia? Uh, Broadly speaking, uh, the type of cell is really what differentiates chronic versus acute leukemia. Acute leukemia Mm -hmm. tends to be more immature cells. Uh, whereas chronic leukemias tend to be more mature cells that are proliferating or dividing um, or growing kind of out of control. Um, At the same time, acute leukemias tend to progress much quicker than a chronic leukemia. Um, So if left untreated, uh, an acute leukemia will, again, progress much quicker and would lead to death much faster than a chronic leukemia, where a chronic leukemia could... um, technically be left untreated in theory for many years um, in some cases and and people could live for many years and not die from their untreated leukemia um, although they would ultimately become symptomatic and require treatment at some point. Um, mm-hmm. But it really is dependent on the type of cell that's causing the problem and then again that type of cell that's causing the problem and then uh, ultimately makes a difference in the rapidity of the progression of the disease. So let's get to the heart of today's uh, show. What is, um, Dr. Sweet, what is chronic myeloid leukemia, CML? CML is, again, a cancer of the bone marrow, and it's actually characterized by a change in between two chromosomes, um, between chromosome number 9 and chromosome number 22. And this specific change that takes place Something called it forms something called the Philadelphia chromosome, and that's really the characteristic change that occurs that leads to a new gene that causes CML. And essentially, that new gene, what I like to tell people, is it more or less shuts off the shutoff mechanism in your cells, in your white blood cells. So there's nothing telling your white blood cells, we don't need to produce more. They just start to produce out of control. You get too many. You get then They just keep dividing and dividing out of control. There's nothing saying, hey, stop. We don't need these white blood cells anymore. Um, mm-hmm. They just mm-hmm. proliferate and divide out of control. 
um, because of this gene that's called BCR able, um, that's formed by this change in the chromosomes. So it's a, again, it's so, a cancer of the white blood cells formed by a change in the chromosomes makes a new gene that causes these cells to grow out of control. So I know there's another chronic leukemia called CLL, uh, chronic lymphocytic leukemia. What's the difference between CML and CLL, just quickly? Uh, it's the cell type. So there's myeloid cells mm-hmm. and there's lymphoid cells. They're different cell lines. And, um, and so it's the different cell lines that are causing the leukemia. So in CML, it's the myeloid cell line that's, that's gone out of control. And in CLL, it's the lymphoid cell line that's gone out of control. So the Philadelphia chromosome is not seen in CLL. Got it. Got it. Um, Dr. Sweet, I understand that a notable percentage of people don't present any symptoms at the time of the diagnosis with CML. Could you tell us about what potentially some of the symptoms might be or, or how someone without symptoms might be flagged for, you know, further testing? Yes. So, I mean, it's probably about 50% of people who would have symptoms at the time they're diagnosed and the other half don't. They're just kind of an incidental finding. So those who have symptoms, they can be sometimes kind of vague, increased fatigue, maybe some night sweats, maybe some abdominal pain, unintentional weight loss, um, a big spleen, which is on the left side of your abdomen, your upper abdomen. Um, which can be causing the abdominal pain. So those are some of the symptoms that people may experience from CML that's untreated. Uh, And that may be what brings someone to their doctor or some of those symptoms. But oftentimes people have no symptoms whatsoever. They just happen Mm -hmm. to go to their doctor for a routine checkup and get blood drawn uh, for routine labs and their white blood cell count is elevated and that just leads them down a path that ultimately leads to a diagnosis of CML, um, but they've had no symptoms whatsoever. Got it. Got it. Um, Dr. Sweet, we have a couple minutes until our first um, break here, but I have to ask you about something. I um, read that you climbed up Mount Kilimanjaro um, less yep. than a year after um, after giving birth. I um, I had the great <laughs> pleasure of doing that climb a number of years ago. Um, oh. And if that's not incredible enough, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but if that's not incredible enough, two CML patients were part of your group, and that must have been yeah. incredibly expi- inspiring. So how does someone from a state that's as flat as a pancake like Florida wind up uh, climbing one of the seven, <laughs> seven summits? Um, how did that come about? <laughs> that was the most amazing experience. Um, that was actually a fundraiser for the International CML Foundation. Um, in recognition right. of the 10th anniversary of the ICMLF. So um, it was something, again, put together by the ICMLF just in recognition of all the work that they've done and raising funds for them. Um, so there were 28 of us that went from all over the globe, um, researchers in CML, uh, physicians, other you know, people related to the CML world, and then, yes, two patients, two CML patients, one from Germany, one from Nigeria. Um, They all met up in Africa and climbed together. It was unbelievable, Uh, absolutely unbelievable. There were ultimately eight of us from the United States um, and the rest from, you know, everywhere else. Uh, And um, that was an absolutely amazing experience. We raised about $300,000 for the ICMLF. Wow. uh, Looking, you know, which is, again, putting money towards 
finding cures for CML, uh, getting drugs for people in countries that don't have the drugs that we have in the United States and testing that we have in the U.S. that they don't have in other countries. Um, so it's an excellent foundation, and I thought it was a really good cause. So I'm so glad that wow. I, I took that trip. And, there, and, and, and tell me just what, a quick, very quickly, those patients must have just been thrilled. Oh, my gosh. They were so thrilled. They were the first two to get to the top from our group. Uh, oh, I love it. They, <laughs> yeah. Oh, they, yes. And they were, they were ecstatic. And it was just so fun having wow. them there. It was so fun having them there. So it was very wow. inspiring. So, wow. That's a, ter- that's a terrific story. That's a terrific story. You'll have to send us some, uh, uh, some pictures of you guys at, uh, at Uhuru Peak at the summit. That would be, uh, I look miserable. Exciting to I look see. miserable. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I remember that feeling. I remember that feeling, yes. but it's nice to uh, to make it to the summit. Um, oh, 19,341 feet, I'll let our listeners know, so good for you. Uh, this is Frankly Thank Speaking you. About Cancer. I'm Kim Tebaldo. Today we're, uh, we're talking with Dr. Sweet, who's a clinical investigator focused on chronic and acute uh, myeloid leukemia. Um, we've, we're we're going to take a quick break. Um, our episode today is a special series called Looking at Leukemias. Um, it's brought to you in part... Um, by Takeda. We have a lot more uh, to discuss with Dr. Sweet about CML, uh, so don't go away. We'll be right back. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Cancer, it's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tibaldo. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Takeda. As part of our special series, Looking at Leukemias, today 
We're looking at chronic myeloid leukemia, CML for short. With us is Dr. Kendra Sweet, a leading expert in this field. Dr. Sweet is an associate member of the malignant hematology faculty at the Moffitt Cancer Center in Tampa, Florida, and an assistant professor in the Department of Oncologic Sciences at the University of South Florida Morsani College of Medicine. She's board certified in medical oncology and internal medicine. Dr. Sweet, let's pick our uh, pick up our discussion. We had a nice little chat about Kilimanjaro on our break here. <laughs> let's uh, pick up our discussion with um, what a patient can expect to experience um, in order for a definitive diagnosis of CML um, to be made. We talked about how this can be a pretty quiet cancer. Sometimes uh, not a lot of symptoms are diagnosed with some uh, with some uh, basic blood work, or at least detected somehow that there's something wrong on some basic blood work. After uh, after folks see that as a result of some blood work, how is the actual definitive diagnosis made for CML? What kind of tests should a patient expect to undergo? There are a few tests that need to be done. Um, the, the diagnosis, theoretically, can be made just from tests in the blood, but one of the biggest myths that I try to dispel is that you do not need a bone marrow biopsy to diagnose CML. You do need a bone marrow biopsy at the time of diagnosis. That is still required at the time of diagnosis. Although we can do tests in the blood, we can do a test called FISH, we can do a test called PCR, um, those tests will look for the changes in the chromosomes and will look for that gene that I mentioned called BCR-ABLE. Um, mm-hmm. We can do those tests in the blood and we can essentially say, yes, this is a diagnosis of CML. But we need the bone marrow biopsy as well because that is the only way for us to know definitively what phase of CML somebody is in. Um, we don't stage CML the way we stage a solid tumor, and I think we'll get to that in a little while, but yeah, the only way yeah. to know definitively is looking in the bone marrow. So we need that bone marrow biopsy. Um, can you, and can in you just tell our that, listeners, Dr. Sweet, can you tell our listeners what a bone marrow biopsy is? Yes. Uh, bone marrow biopsy is a procedure where we usually someone is lying on their side or lying on their stomach, and we have a needle that goes into the hip bone in the back, um, and we get into inside the bone. So there's there's liquid in the middle of the of the bones, the long bones, and in your hip bones. So we get into the middle of that bone, and we're able to take out some of that liquid portion, and that's the actual bone marrow. And so we can get that out, and that's where we can really get information about what's going on because we need to get to the source in the same way that we need a biopsy of a breast mass or a colon mass to make a diagnosis of breast cancer or colon cancer, we need a biopsy of the bone marrow to make a diagnosis of leukemia. So, um, so we have to get that needle in there into the bone marrow mm-hmm. to be able to make that diagnosis. And the procedure itself takes maybe 10 minutes, um, mm-hmm. and it can cause some achiness at the site for a day or two after the procedure, but in most cases, yeah. it's, it's fairly simple. Um, in some places, people will, will be put to sleep for the procedure. Other places, people are awake. Um, it really depends on the institution. Um, yeah. But it, it's about a 10-minute procedure overall. So, um, 
So, Dr. Sweet, we, we hear sometimes about genetic testing. So, you know, that, that, that is testing for something that can be inherited. And then we're hearing, of course, a lot these days about molecular testing, or, or, or we oftentimes use the term biomarker testing. Do we use that testing for CML, those kinds of tests? We do molecular testing to look for that gene, the BCR able. So we do a test called PCR to look for BCR able. And what we're really doing there is measuring how much BCR able is present. So how much of that gene is present in the person's blood or in the person's bone marrow. And we're doing that test repeatedly every three months to assess how well the drugs that we're using to treat the disease, how well they're knocking out the leukemia. Um, because as the leukemia cells are dying off, the amount of BCR able that's present will go down. And so that molecular testing, the number that we get or the value that we get from the molecular testing or the PCR test will continue to go down as the number of leukemia cells decreases over time. Um, so that's the type of molecular testing that we use to monitor, to diagnose and monitor CML. Got it, got it. Dr. Sweet, you started to touch on sort of, you know, staging of the disease. We, you, oftentimes we hear about stages associated with a cancer. We know somebody has stage 3 prostate cancer, stage 2 breast cancer. The stage indicates the size of the cancer, how far it's spread. But CML uses um, phases, uh, if I'm mm-hmm. correct, in terms of growth and, and, and aggressiveness. Can you tell us about the phases? Yes, yes. We don't stage it in the same way we do a solid tumor because ultimately, as you mentioned, those stages are really meant to tell us how widespread is this cancer and how systemic is it. But by definition, leukemia is already systemic because it's in your blood. So it's already your whole body. So that's not really a fair way to assess the disease. So we look at the phases. We call them chronic phase, accelerated phase, and blast phase CML. Each one, chronic is the earliest phase, accelerated is kind of the middle of the road, and blast phase is the most advanced phase of CML. And and the truth of the matter is our goal in treating CML, if we had to pick just one, is to prevent the progression to blast phase CML because people do not die from chronic phase CML. Um, So if we can keep people in chronic phase CML for the rest of their lives, they will do well. So that is our true goal. Uh, But blast phase CML is much more like or is like an acute leukemia. So you see a lot more Mm -hmm. immature cells that are, are... dividing and uh, proliferating much quicker. So we are trying to keep people in the chronic phase, and the vast majority of people with CML are diagnosed in chronic phase. Probably 90, 95% of people are diagnosed in chronic phase, which is a much less aggressive form of CML. So, um, so that's very helpful, Dr. Sweet, and I want to I get to, we're going to have to kind of do a little lightning round here because um, uh, we have a lot to cover here, but I know there are several treatments now used for CML. I'm going to have you just walk us through them quickly, um, but why would a particular treatment be used at a particular time, and, you know, are there certain side effects or things like that that, you know, patients should, um, should be wary of or should ask about or understand? So I'm just going to start with one that may be the most familiar to our listeners, chemotherapy. Tell us about chemo and its use with CML. Chemotherapy in the, in the strict definition is actually not something we typically use to treat CML. Um, we use uh, oral drugs called tyrosine kinase inhibitors that are, are directly targeted against BCR able. So chemotherapy is more of a broad, kind of kills everything it comes in contact with kind of treatment. 
Um, and we don't typically use chemotherapy anymore in people with CML. Um, it's very uncommon this day and age. So tell me about um, stem cell transplants. What about that? Stem cell transplant, very rarely. Back in the day, that was a very common way to treat CML, but now we have drugs that are extremely effective, these TKIs, or tyrosine kinase inhibitors, that are extremely effective at managing CML. Um, So although a transplant has the potential to cure CML, and TKIs are not curing CML, they are just treating CML, um, we still do not usually send someone for a transplant simply because this, the toxicity of a transplant is, is so much higher than the toxicity or the side effects of a TKI um, that we can't really justify it because you can live a normal life expectancy in most cases with TKIs controlling the disease mm-hmm. very, very well, um, and we can manage the side effects, whereas there's a risk of dying from complications from a transplant um, mm-hmm. shortly after doing the transplant, and it's, we can't really justify doing that when we have much less toxic therapy that can control the disease for a very long period of time. So we generally save transplant for someone with advanced phases of the disease like accelerated or blast phase CML. So the, T, so the TKIs are the most common treatment that you guys are using these days for these patients? Yes, absolutely. Excellent, excellent. Um, so when you're having the conversation about treatment with a patient, you know, one of the things we always tell patients to talk about with their doctor is what are the goals of treatment? So when you're talking with a patient um, with CML and you talk about treatment, how do you talk about the goals of treatment and what they should expect with this really, you know, longer-term treatment? I tell people the long-term goal is to get them back to exactly what they were doing before they were diagnosed. Um, If that was going to school, if that was working full-time, if that was taking care of their kids or taking care of their parents, whatever it was, that's what I want them to be able to do. And it can take time. Um, It can take, you know three, six months to get them back to where they were. But generally speaking, we can do it as long as we have an open, open communication, open relationship. I need to know when someone's having side effects so that I can help address them. Um, if I don't know that someone's not tolerating their drug, then I can't help them try to manage that, those side effects. Um, but as long as somebody is telling me up front, you know, I'm having diarrhea, I'm getting this rash, I'm having headaches, I'm having, you know, whatever it may be. If they're telling me these things, then I will work to try to make that better. And, uh, and at the end of the day, we can usually come up with some solution so that they're able to get back to doing what they were doing previously. But it takes time. And so I try to tell people, we're going to get there, but it's going to take some time. And it's going to take a lot of communication and a lot of patience. But ultimately, I think we can get there. Excellent. Uh, excellent advice. Um, I know we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, after the break, we're coming up on our break, Dr. Sweet here, but um, I, I, you know, I want to dive in a little bit more after the break about really what it means for a patient to be on treatment, potentially for the rest of their lives, and how you, know, you talked about sort of, you know, some of the physical adjustments and, and, and how they're tolerating the treatment, but, you know, I also want to jump in uh, after the break a little bit about sort of the emotional, sort of the financial, um, the psychological, you know, implications of being right. on this um, 
this treatment long-term, and then I also want to take a minute or two to talk about that, that key patient-physician uh, communication piece, because I think that is, um, that is critical, especially for, for patients um, on these long-term therapies. This is frankly speaking about cancer. We're having a, um, a great and in-depth conversation uh, with Dr. Kendra Sweet about CML, chronic myeloid uh, leukemia. She is an associate uh, uh, member of the hematology faculty at Moffitt Cancer Center in Tampa, Florida. This is frankly speaking about cancer don't go away. We'll be right back. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com slash MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is brought to you by Takeda and BMS Bristol-Myers Squibb. I'm your host, Kim Tebaldo. We've been having a truly in-depth conversation with Dr. Kendra Sweet about chronic myeloid leukemia. I feel so uh, lucky, really, that we have such a leading expert in the field to share her knowledge and insights with us and with our audience. Um, Dr. Sweet, we touched on, uh, you know, on some of the therapies. We talked about um, molecular testing. I just want to address for a moment, um, you know, we talked early in the show about how, you know, of the bad news of a cancer diagnosis, this is good news, right? This is a chronic disease. We're getting pretty good at treating it, getting good at managing it. But it's still got to be tough for patients to have that that every day. When they take that pill every day, they're reminded that they have cancer. Maybe when they're not feeling so great, they may look well and feel well. So others might not, you know, kind of understand or, you know, are there long-term financial uh, implications for folks? Just take a minute to address some of those challenges for patients. I think that you're absolutely right. I think that there's um, a lot that goes into it that can be overlooked, especially when someone's taking an oral drug and, and people may not realize, you know, these oral drugs still come with side effects and the side effects can be significant. And even though, you know, you don't lose your hair, you're not in the hospital, you're still able to work, you're still able to do these things, but you may not, you don't, you don't feel 100%. You don't feel the way you felt five years prior. And I think that's hard for some people to understand or to get across to their friends and to their family. 
Um, and and as you mentioned, it's, it's a daily reminder every day for years and years and years that, hey, I have cancer. And that's really, that can take a psychological toll on people after a while. Um, and I think we need to, we need to be respectful of that and mindful of that. In addition to that, um, these are expensive drugs. We have great drugs that are very effective, um, but mm-hmm. they're extremely expensive. And that can also be very financially toxic on people. And there are programs out there that can help. Um, and typically speaking, I would say most of the, most of the patients that I have, we've been able to find financial assistance for them. But that doesn't seem to be the case for everybody, and we need to be mindful of that as well because, um, you know, some people will say, you know, I can't, it, what's the point of taking this drug that's going to keep me alive forever if I can't pay the bills and I'm going to have to sell my house and sell my car and do all these things? I don't want to do all of this. Right. So we need, right, to be, right. we need to be mindful of that. We need to help with the financial aspect of this. We need to be mindful of the side effects and, and do what we can to manage those so that people can get back to the life that they want to live. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Dr. Sweet, I know we touched a little bit on um, sort of these targeted therapies, molecular testing. For folks who are just joining us, maybe just take another minute. You know, what are the, what are the main therapies that we are using um, uh, to treat CML, and, and what can folks expect on some of those therapies? We have five oral drugs that we use to treat CML. They're called tyrosine kinase inhibitors. They specifically target the gene BCR able, which is the gene that causes CML. Um, again, they're all oral. And, and really, the first one, Gleevec or Imatinib, is really the drug that revolutionized the field of, of malignant hematology. It was the first targeted therapy out there. We figured out what causes CML, and then we were able to find a drug that blocks that. And by blocking that gene that's causing the problem, we were able to turn the disease around, um, which is really pretty remarkable. And now we've got five different drugs that can do it, which gives us a little bit of leeway in how we manage this disease. And and they each have slightly different side effect profiles, which Mm -hmm. is nice to be able to play around with treatment for people depending on, on how they tolerate the drugs and what other medical issues they may or may not have. So I think that's a really important point, Dr. Sweet. It may be that a patient doesn't want to share with you his or her side effects because they might be worried that there are no other choices or options, but that, that, but there are other options for them if they're not tolerating one of them particularly well. Absolutely. There are other options if they're not tolerating one. There are things that we can do. Um, there, We can adjust the dose. We can provide other medications to, you know, to to combat some of the side effects. We can try a different drug that may work better with different side effects profiles. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's always something that we can try. So as long as somebody mm-hmm. is, is honest with me about how they're feeling and what they're experiencing, yeah. uh, we can come up with something. But I just need to know. Right. And that's what I, I think I mentioned before. I try to get that point across up front is as long as you're honest with me and telling me what's going on, I'll work with you to try to come up with a Perfect. solution to the problem. But we need to know. Perfect. Perfect. Yep. That's great advice. Um, just quickly, Dr. Sweet, uh, how is the patient monitored? Um, do they go in monthly, quarterly? Do they get blood tests? You know, if they're on treatment, doing pretty well, you know, what's the, what's the monitoring standard? The monitoring, the, in the very, very beginning, typically I will see someone weekly for the first month, every two weeks for the second month, and then I'll see them again at the third month, which is the first time we repeat their molecular testing. After that third month, assuming everything's looking good, they're doing well on their drug, their molecular results look good, 
They only need to be seen every three months. They'll get routine CBCs, which is just their white blood cells, hemoglobin platelets. They'll do molecular testing on the blood, not in the bone marrow, um, every three months. And that's all they need. So every three months, they'll be coming in, getting those tests done, seeing the doctor, and that's it. Um, so really yeah. nothing more frequent than that. No bone marrows, no CT scans, nothing else. Just blood tests and a doctor visit every three months. Great. I... Um... We also, uh, we hear from some of our patients, we've done some surveys of CML patients. We hear a lot of patients tell us that, that fatigue and, and, and a loss of concentration or memory interference is a, is a common um, side effect. Is that something you hear from patients? Oh, gosh, yes. Fatigue is hands yeah. down the most common side effect of all of these drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, we've done studies here actually looking at fatigue in people with chronic phase CML who are treated with TKIs. Um, because it is, I mean, 70, 80% of people uh, have some, some element of fatigue and looking at ways to combat that. And, and a lot of it really is that we found anyways um, comes from daily activity, you know, walking, some form of exercise on a daily basis, good sleep habits, mm-hmm. going to bed at the same time, waking up at the same time every day, um, you know, nutritional habits, and then some kind of cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, has also been shown to, to help with some of that fatigue. Great. Sometimes we do have to adjust the dose of the drug, too. Sometimes there's just nothing aside from lowering the dose of the drug, and if someone's right. response, their, their CML response is good enough, then we have the flexibility to do that. Um, we're running out of time. I have one more quick question for you, Dr. Sweet, and that's imp- an important one. Again, I mentioned we've been surveying some CML patients, and there were some patients you know, who basically said to us they thought it was okay to skip a dose of their medicine now and again, whether it's maybe they don't want that daily reminder, they just want to break from it, or maybe they're trying to stretch out because of some financial issues, assuming it is not okay <laughs> for folks to skip a dose. And if they are having some of these concerns, they really should talk to their healthcare team, yes? Absolutely. So we actually have data that shows that responses are significantly worse in people who take less than 90% of the prescribed dose. Um, So we strongly discourage skipping doses here and there. It can potentially breed resistance, but it definitely decreases response. Um, Obviously, there's exceptions to that, and that needs to be discussed with your your healthcare provider. Um, But uh, if you're really needing to miss doses because of side effects, then something else needs to be done, and that needs to be a discussion with the doctor and the patient because something else needs to happen. So, um, But I would never encourage someone to just, skip a dose here and there because that can definitely lead to problems. And also, I know if they're having financial issues, they really should talk to folks. There are a lot of resources out there. I know you can help. I know we can help connect folks to those resources. Dr. Sweet, it's been a pleasure um, having you on. I want to ask our guests to stay, uh, our listeners to stay with us. We're going to take a quick break, but we're going to be joined by uh, by Diane Krupnik, who's been living with CML for over five years. She's going to talk to us about her own experience. Thank you, Dr. Sweet. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We will be right back. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. 
Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's show is brought to you by Takeda and BMS, Bristol-Myers Squibb. I'm your host, Kim Tibaldo. We are now joined by Diane Krupnik, who has been living with CML for six years. Let me tell you a little bit about Diane. Diane worked as a certified pharmacy technician for over 30 years. She also worked as an appeal specialist for an insurance company and a pharmacy benefits management company. Diane was married for 44 years with her husband before he passed away 15 years ago. She has two daughters, Wendy and Joyce, and two college-age granddaughters, Allie and Stacy. Diane enjoys playing mahjong with her friends. Uh, she likes reading and dabbles with painting. Welcome to the show, Diane. Thank you. Thank you for having it sounds me. Like, uh, sounds like the ladies rule the show in your world, huh? Yes, all girls. All <laughs> My girls, husband was outnumbered. <laughs> <laughs> I guess he was. I guess he was. Yeah. He um, loved it. Diane, before we... I bet he did. I bet he did. King of the, king of the house. Um, right. Diane, before we get started, tell us how you're feeling today. How are things going for you? I'm feeling well. In fact, I spoke to my oncologist, hematologist on Wednesday, and my latest blood work showed that I was uh, in a complete molecular response, which is where you want to be. It's undetectable. Where you want to be, 100%. Right. Great news. Yes. Happy to hear it. Um, Diane, take us back in time um, when you were diagnosed. What was going on in your life? What led you to seek medical attention? How was your um, cancer uh, detected? Were you having symptoms or did it show up on blood work? Take us back to that moment. When was that? In 2013, the end of the year, like I think it was October, uh, my employer did blood work for, you know, if you, if you had the insurance 
they would like you to have blood work done, and you got like a little discount on your insurance. So I had yeah. it done. And about two weeks later, I got the booklet, and the first thing I saw when I opened it up was that my white blood count was out of whack. I had no yeah. symptoms. I was suffering from fatigue, but I was 70 years old working full-time and traveling an hour and 20 minutes each way. So mm-hmm. anyway, I uh, went to my family doctor to be retested. He called me. He came back higher, and he said, I really think you need to see a hematologist, which I then proceeded mm-hmm. to do, and that was by the end of 2013, and I uh, got the result in January 2014 that I had CML. Uh, no. And what did they say? No, no symptoms. Wow, amazing. No symptoms. It is an amazing cancer, yeah. isn't it, in that regard? Yeah. Um, so, Diane, what was your prognosis, course of treatment? What happened at that point to, to keep us going through the story? Sure. So he told me, you know, uh, he wondered if I wanted the good news or the bad news. So the, the good right. news was that what I had was treatable. <laughs> and yes. the bad yes. news was that it was, like, not the better of the two uh, leukemias. Like CLL, you know, it's, it's a little bit easier to deal with. But he did tell me that in today's world, there were so many different drugs out there, and there are even more now, that I should expect to live um, a normal life and live my normal life expectancy. And uh, my, my prognosis was good. And how did that feel, uh, I, getting that news? Um, honestly, um, when he told me about it, I guess I kind of expected it by that time because I started to look up, you know, went on the Internet and started to look up about the different tests they were doing. <clears throat> Excuse me, and I, I had a feeling that there was something going on, and like I said to him that uh, I was seventy years old, going on seventy-one, and you know I had to get something. Everybody else had something, so maybe this wasn't the worst thing. There were some lots of many other diseases out there that were worse, and if he's telling me I can be treated with it, then I accepted it. It was um, what I didn't accept was the cost of my medicine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Tell, so tell us, uh, so 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 tell us about that because obviously going on treatment, thinking about that for the right. rest of your life, certainly does come with its challenges. Um, so cost cost was one of those challenges for you. Yes. So when I first went on the the one medication, I was still working, and the medication cost me twenty five dollars a month because of my prescription plan. I um, then. Um, as my disease progressed, I couldn't go back to work, and I had to go on Medicare. And now my medication was not covered by any special uh, dealerships or you know any anything special. And the next thing I knew, my first pre- my first prescription I needed would have been thirty eight hundred dollars. Oh my! Gosh. And then it would have been like six hundred dollars every month thereafter. And that's when I cried. I didn't cry yeah. when I was diagnosed. I cried when they told me how much the medicine was, and I said, I can't afford that. There's no so what did you way. Do? Luckily, you know, my doctor's office uh, knows, and the pharmacy that they got in touch with have different charities that they work with, and they found a charity that picked up my complete copay, and it was a godsend. <laughs> No, because otherwise I don't yeah. know what I would have done. There's no way I could have found. And that's what it's been since then. There have been different charities, including the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, who have great. been great and have picked up my co-pays for me. And that's the problem. I mean, how, how can it be that when you're working, it's only $25, and when you stop right. working and you're living just on Medicare, they, the, the medication is, and this is what I've talked to a lot of people with um, 
especially the leukemias and everything. It's right. The the price is right. Well, you know, we, we, a lot of times with cancer, we talk about toxicity and people think, Oh, does that mean you get sick or you get nauseous or you lose your hair? Or, but now we talk about financial toxicity as a side effect of getting cancer. And it's a very real thing. And obviously, you know, that, uh, firsthand, did you have other issues, Diane, with, um, your medication, any side effects from your, um, medications? Well, the first medication I was on required twice a day dosing, and you had to take it two hours before or one hour after, 12 hours apart, you know, and they were very specific. You had to be within that 12 hours. So figuring out your meals was like, well, you had to wait, you know, eat, but you couldn't eat for two hours, and then like, you know, you couldn't eat after 8 o'clock at night, and if you were going out with friends, you couldn't eat, so that was a little difficult, but. You overcame that. I lost some hair. Um, the biggest problem I found with both my medicines, because I have since changed medications, is mm-hmm. the fatigue. Overwhelming mm-hmm. fatigue. And no matter what, even with my numbers being good, uh, I can sit down and in two seconds, I, the fatigue, like I can't, you can't push through the fatigue sometimes. It's so overwhelming. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I hear that from patients. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Diane, I have a a friend with a chronic condition, and she said that sometimes, um, you know, her family or friends, others, um, forget that she has cancer. And because, you know, when she's feeling fatigued or not feeling great or not feeling, she looks fine. She doesn't look sick, so to speak. And um, sometimes it's hard for folks to kind of understand that or get their head around that or even understand what really, they say if you haven't experienced that fatigue, you can't really even understand what it is. Are those, have you had those challenges with other folks because you, maybe you look well? Well, that's it. Everybody says, oh, you look so great, you know, and they don't understand that I may look great, but my bones ache or I'm tired or, you know. I have diarrhea, or any of those other things that yes. you can't see. With other cancers, you know, if you're walking around, your hair is all gone, or you're, yes. you've lost a lot of weight, people can look and say, oh, you know, you can see she's a cancer patient. But it's true, with the blood cancers especially, people just say, well, you look good. I can't believe you're sick. And, and that's fine. You want to be that way, but you also want them to understand when you say, I just can't yeah. do it. I just... You know, I can't push myself. I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But luckily, I've absolutely. had a good support system. I do have a lot of uh, my family and, and friends have always been very supportive and uh, there to help me out with everything. How do you, Diane, um, we're, we're starting to inch towards the end of our uh, end of our show here, but um, I know one of the things you say is, I'm, I'm, I'm getting up. I'm going to keep going. You know, this is, this is right. about every day here. To live my life. Tell us, tell us about that. Tell us about you get, how you get up and face every day. Well, I get up and face every day because um, I enjoy life. And I have two granddaughters, as you mentioned, that I, I'm thrilled to be able to see them grow up. My oldest granddaughter just graduated college. And to know that I'm here and able to see this, this is what keeps me going. I have a lot of uh, wonderful friends. And I just say, you know, Again, there are people out there, I see them every day because I live in an over-55 community who have, mm-hmm. they have either cancers or other kinds of diseases that are so much worse than what I have, the side effects. Mm-hmm. So I count myself lucky. That this is what advice do you have? 
Um, well, good for you, Diane. That's great and an inspiration to all of us for sure. Um, Diane, what advice do you have for someone who's been newly diagnosed um, with CML, who they're just trying to think about, what do I do now, near-term, short-term, and then how do I think about this in the long-term? Uh, well, they have, be up, be, 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 you know, look to the future. There are so many things they can do for us. And get involved with, like, Gilda's Club. Gilda's Club is great. They, you know, even though there's not a lot of patients there with CML, it's just the whole atmosphere really helps. It's, you know, you're talking to other people who are going through what you're going through, and they're all, it's a good experience. Um, I also um, go on the Internet, and there's a CML uh, site on the Internet with people from all over the world. And that kind of helps you because when you read what other people are saying, oh, then you say, oh, okay, so this is part of my disease. I'm not crazy. Mm-hmm. What I'm feeling is just what other people are feeling. You're not alone. You, you have too. a sense of community. Right. Yeah. Because sometimes when you tell the doctors, they just shrug, you know, they shrug or they listen, but you right. think, are they really listening? Or do they really understand right. what I'm saying? But when you see yeah. other people are going through the same thing, then you realize, okay. Gives you hope. Yep. 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 And get involved Diane, in something that keeps you hope. Yeah, absolutely. I, that's right. You know, get, get, get involved in a community. It's wonderful. Diane, it's so great to speak to you. Um, I, I'm so grateful that you, uh, that you joined us today. I want to remind folks that at the Cancer Support Community and Gilda's Club is part of our Cancer Support Community Network. We've got a whole host of free resources for patients and families. Um, you can find uh, us at cancersupportcommunity.org. You could also call our helpline. Um, if people want to grab a pen, that phone number is 888-793-9355. You could speak to one of our counselors. You could call right now and talk to one of our counselors to get education, information, support, and to get connected to a whole host of resources. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tebaldo from the Cancer Support Community. Um, I want to thank our guests for joining us today. Thank our listeners. And until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org.